me stupid It makes me feel like you don't think I'm smart But just because you say you're not into it Why do you have to tear it all apart? Just because it's stupid don't mean it's not art Hi there, and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White. I am back after a week uh, in which I was a little too busy to record, and my co-hosts were kind enough to record the show for me. Um, but here we are. We're all here together again. I do want to say I had a wonderful time at Comic-Con, and I had a good time getting, trying to get caught up after Comic-Con. And uh, let's go on from there. We've got a very exciting show. We've got four all-new you know, well, not all. I mean, you know, they aired on the radio first. But four new serials for us, new episodes of stuff. It's going to be quite exciting. Of course, as always, we've got four different hosts here. So let me run down the rundown of who there are. Besides myself, Jordan Dwight, of course. Over here is Frank Allen. Hello, Jordan. Thank you for the introduction. I uh, was very pleased to have run the show for you last week. Well, you didn't actually run the show. Again, I was also co-host, as as you know. Uh, that that also is uh, Rory Sinjin over there. Rory Sinjin. Now, Rory, I understand you did something very exciting last night. You were interviewed on our old radio station, WHRW. Yes, absolutely correct. They did. They wanted to know about my, my studies at the the Institute at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. I spoke to them for a while. It was it was very fascinating. Excellent, excellent. I, I'm going to try to get a hold of the recording of that. I, I know Frank's been interviewed on WHRW, well, once back when he was there, but also since then as well, just before the podcast started. I'm going to get a hold of all, all of these recordings and... Um, at some point, they'll air on the podcast because they are pretty fascinating stuff. I'm, I'm thinking what I might do is next time I, I'm too busy to do a show rather than have you guys host it, I might just kind of pop in some some bonus filler material. Well, that's not necessary. I mean, we actually, we you know, we handled the show quite well. Oh, you did? Actually, yes. You found, you de- you definitely found something to fill it up with, didn't you? Yes. Well, perhaps not enough to fill up the emptiness in your, in your soul, uh, at least back in high school. Yes, thank you. That's where we were going with that. You read my poetry, my high school written poetry on the podcast last time. And I didn't, I got to tell you, I didn't appreciate that. Well, you really should. I mean, it's ju- it's giving you publicity. And everybody, you know, everybody knows you're different now than you were in high school. So does everybody, I'm glad everybody knows that because obviously that would be sensical. It's been, oh my God, it's been 10 years since I got out of high school. So that was a long time ago. So people would know that that's not you anymore. That's just where you came from. That's, that's who you used to be. And now you're you. Yes, I am me. I don't think I would have chosen. Again, remember when we did car debate and you were like, oh, I don't think I would have revealed, I would have played that. Well, I wouldn't have played those. Well, that sounds exactly fair to me. I wouldn't have played it. So you, you, you did play it. So <sighs> fine, fine, fine. I mean, obviously, look, it, I wrote it. I was, you know, everybody's emotional when they're young. And I was emotional when I was young. And, you know, I don't, I don't feel that emptiness anymore. So you don't want to bash your own skull in anymore? No, now I want to bash your skull in. Oh, come on now. Only sometimes. But you guys are distracting me. We have another co-host. He's kind of curled up, not really paying much attention, which is why he hasn't chimed in. But escape. Pay attention. You're on a podcast. Oh, uh, hi, Dad. You're not mad at me about the poetry thing, are you? Because I didn't read any of it. No, but I mean, you did kind of make fun of it. I didn't make fun. I just was talking about the, the topics. You had a, a lot of topics, and I was commenting on the topics. I guess that's true. No, I mean, I guess you didn't really make fun of me, and I, and I do appreciate that. The others are really the ones who deserve punishment. Punishment? What, what kind of punishment? How are you going to punish us? I'll think of something. I don't know. I'll figure out a way. I, I sincerely doubt you're really being, going to be able to punish me. I mean, I, I don't know what you could do. Well, maybe you don't, but I'll figure something out. Uh, let's get to our serials, though. At this point, uh, today, we've got four serials, uh, a new Like Mother, a new Debatatorium, and Epic Echoes, and then the, the final episode of the first season of Guard Duty. So it kind of wraps up the, the story of the first story arc. 
Um, there was a shortened season. I'll talk about it later on. First up, we've got Like Mother, Episode 3, uh, Story of Conspiracy. Last time we heard Like Mother, what we found was uh, Pandora Darling came home to find her mother had killed somebody. She didn't know what it was all about. She was freaking out. Her mother said he was part of a big conspiracy called Cask, and that's why she killed him, and she could see who these people were and, and was taking it upon herself to eliminate them. Pandora was obviously freaked out. A boy named Bobby Kurtzman showed up. The mother knocked him out, erased his memory of the whole affair. Thing is, then the mother started training Pandora. And uh, when she woke up the next morning, she was locked in a metal box and had to work her way out with lockpicks that her mother had provided her with. Since then, things have only gotten, I think, worse for Pandora. She tried to escape from her mother, but her mother wouldn't let her. And let's see where it goes, shall we? Episode 3, Trials and Tribulations, by Lynn Nelson. Pandora Darling was getting used to waking up stiff. It had only been a few days since her safe suburban lifestyle had been turned upside down. Only a few days since she had come home to find her mother having slaughtered a strange man in her own living room. Every morning since then had been similar. Pandy would wake up in a small coffin-shaped box and wonder exactly when her mother had gone bug nuts crazy. She would lay still on her back thinking about moments in years or even months past that might have warned her about her mother's insanity. Then she would start to feel claustrophobic and decide it was time to break out of the box. She would find the lockpicks she had hidden on her person before going to bed the night before, feel for the lock above her head, and work the lock until it sprang free and she could have breakfast. This morning, however, was different. What? Where is it? Pandora ran her fingers over the smooth surface just opposite her face and felt no lock. She twisted herself just enough to feel above the crown of her head, where she felt metal. She almost breathed a sigh of relief, but started to panic again when she did not feel a hole that the lock picks fit. As she ran her fingers over the metal piece above her head, all she felt were little nubbins that she assumed were screws. Slowly, it sank in. This was not a lock, but a hinge. She's got to be kidding! Pandy took a deep breath and started feeling around the foot of the box with her toes. She quickly felt a little metal box with a small hole for a key. Starting to get upset, Pandy hurtled her chest forward and reached for the lock, only to bump her head Ow! and fall to her back. What did I tell you about panicking, Potato? It wastes the air. Good. Now remember what you read last night and don't talk to yourself out loud. Think in your head. I'll have breakfast waiting. This is getting really ridiculous. What did I just say? I wasn't talking to myself. Pandy took a shallow breath and assessed her situation. Remembering her reading from the previous night, she felt out the dimensions of the box that contained her. There was not enough room to bend her legs sideways. There was, however, enough room to bend her knee directly up toward the ceiling. Slowly, carefully, she bent her right knee up and slid her right foot under her backside. 
side. She reached down with her right hand and slipped a lockpick in between her first and second toes. She arched her back and slid her foot very slowly out from under her, returning her knee to its bent position. Then she straightened out her leg. She lay for a moment, letting her leg rest. Then, gripping the lockpick tightly between her toes, she fumbled around until she felt it slip into the lock's hole. Ten minutes later, Hope Darling saw her daughter walk into the kitchen, looking extremely annoyed. Was that too much trouble, Potato? I had to do it twice. I dropped the lockpick the first time. Never underestimate the utility of strong toes. I'm glad you got it, though. You're a smart girl. Have some breakfast? No, thanks. I'd rather not miss first period again. Well, okay. See you after school, then. Oh, goody. Pandy made it through first and second period without too much trouble. Her friends didn't even bother her about her recent moods. This wasn't for lack of concern, however, for in between second and third period. Listen, Bobby, I- Ow! I'm sorry. Well, why do we have to be under the stairs to talk about this? Look, it's really not good for my reputation to be seen with you. Well, it's really cramped under here and- What? Gee, Tabby, I- Focus. We don't have to like each other, but we both like Pandy so we can talk for a few minutes, right? What do you mean, like? Oh, cut it out, Bobby. You're, like, totally obvious. I don't know what you're talking- Jeez, shut up for a minute. We only have five minutes till the next bell, and Pandy's been acting really weird lately. Well, yeah, she has been pretty distracted. I think we need to talk to her together. We can't fit another person under the stairs. No, it'll have to be in public, I guess. We'll catch her during lunch. She's my best friend, but she's been totally avoiding me lately, and I need somebody to back me up on this. So you'll talk to her with me. Yeah, sure. Anything for Pandy. Oh, you're so pathetic. Do me a favor at lunch today, and don't get all mushy over her and let her get away without talking to us. We really need to know what's going on in her life if we're going to help her get through whatever she's going through. So, if she avoids us, we need to stick to our guns, okay? Yeah, sure. Wait, what did you say? You're pathetic. No, it's the last part. Stick to our guns. Yeah. For some reason, that made me think I knew why Pandy was so upset. But it's gone now. <laughs> Man, it was on the tip of my tongue. Whatever. That's the bell. See you at lunch. Tabby and Pandy had math together third period. They were passing notes about their stupid, old math teacher and giggling together for about half the period. Eventually, Pandy got bored and went to look at the clock above the door when she saw her mother's smiling face in the window of the door. Pandy's heart dropped into her stomach. Oh God, what now? What's wrong? Oh man, your mom's here. Is everything okay? I I don't know. Pandy nodded impatiently at her mother, who was gesturing for her to come out into the hallway. But I guess I'll go find out. I'm going to the bathroom, Mr. Belkin. Out in the hallway, Pandy rushed her mother away from the classroom window. What are you doing here? I was reading the Gazette this morning over breakfast. So? I found a coat. Jeez, Mom, you've got to get over this. There's no coat in the Gazette. It's just a paper. No, this one's important and complicated. I'm going to need your help. No way. Not a chance. I'm going back to math. Pandy, at least hear me out. Mr. Belkin is teaching a really interesting lesson today. I've just got to get back. Pandora Claire, darling, not another step. I hate it when she uses my full name. I'll put up with the disrespectful tone because I know this is all a shock to you, but I will not suffer the lies. You hate Mr. Belkin. (sighs) Fine. Show me this code you found. It's right here in the letters to the editor. See this one from Mrs. Joan Riley? Yes. I highlighted every seventh word. Go on, read it. Social study two five problem must prevent bombing. Mom, this is totally nuts. This is a letter about a tutor. She's talking about bombing tests, not people. You could do this with any letter. Give me that paper. Okay, how about this letter? I'll read every seventh word from this one, okay? Soccer. Glad. Thank. 
pizza, fifth. Okay, fine, that one didn't work. But this is really stretching it, I think. Where is room 25? You've got to be kidding. This is about cask, I just know it. Now tell me. It's downstairs on the second floor. Whose classroom is it? Um, Miss Stetson. And what does she teach? Social studies. I had her last year. You have to introduce me to her. Mom, no, you need to go home, take a nap or something, and we can work this out when I get home. Either you introduce me now, or I'll go in there myself and you take your chances with what I say. I'm not going to do anything to her, Pandy. I just want to meet her. I have to see her. Great, just great. Okay, fine. I introduce you, and then you go home. Promise? Scout's honor. You weren't a scout. Mom's honor, then? You were better off with the first one. Let's go. On the second floor, Miss Stetson was grading papers during her period off. She was middle-aged and conservatively dressed. She had close-cropped dark hair and wore a pantsuit. She looked up and took off her reading glasses when she saw Hope and Pandora walk in the room. Why, Pandora, to what do I owe the surprise? Uh, I wanted you to meet my mom. Well, what a pleasure. It's nice to meet you, Mrs. Darling. I have to say I was disappointed not to meet you at last year's parent night. Well, you know how it is with us working moms. I was in for a teacher conference today, and I thought I would drop by and meet you on my way out. Pandora did talk about you often. Is that so? Why, Pandora, I didn't think I'd gotten through to you. Well, it was very nice to finally meet you. Unfortunately, I have to be going, and I know Pandy has to get back to class. Yes, it was good to see you after all this time. I hope you'll come back to the school a little more often, now that you seem to have found a good time to make it. I'm sure I will. Take care. Can you go home now? Hmm? Oh, sure. What's with you? Oh, nothing, Potato. See you after school. Yeah, okay. Pandy ran back to math just as the period was ending. Stupid old Mr. Belkin generally managed not to notice. What was that all about? Long story. My mom's been a little weird lately. Seems to be genetic. What? But the bell rang before Tabby could say something she might regret, and the two friends bade each other goodbye until lunchtime. Pandy spent lunchtime in the nurse's office. She didn't know how to deal with her friends, especially since Tabby seemed really uppity with her lately. Unable to find their friend, Tabby and Bobby found themselves under the third floor stairs again. I hope everything's okay. We could try going to her house. Maybe she went home for lunch. Wow, you need to back off a little. I'll call her tonight. We'll try tomorrow. Ow! Your leg was in the way. All right, well... I'm going to look for Pandy some more. I'll let you know if I find her. Have fun. Pandy nearly ran all the way home after school to avoid seeing any of her friends. She stood on her doorstep, catching her breath for a minute, then opened the door. Given the events of the past few days, she almost expected to see a dead body on the floor. Instead, the carpet was clean. She heaved a sigh of relief and went into the kitchen for a glass of milk. Sitting at the kitchen table were her mother and Miss Stetson. Oh, uh, hi, Miss Stetson. Mom? Your mother was kind enough to invite me over for coffee after our meeting today. You know, Pandora, I think it's wonderful that she's taking an interest in your studies. Yeah, but you're not my teacher anymore. Pandora! Sorry. Well, you two have fun. I'm going to go hit the books. Pandy had only been freaking out in her room for about ten minutes when she heard grunts and groans Uh and thumps coming from the kitchen. She ran out of her room and down the stairs to find the two women with big bruises on their faces struggling on the kitchen floor. Hope Darling had Miss Stetson's back to the floor, 
But uh, Miss Stetson ow. was forcing the two of them uh, into uh. a roll across the kitchen. Quick, Pandy! You stupid bitch! Wait, Mom, what's going on? Under the sofa cushions. What do you think you were doing? Pandy ran to the living room sofa and pulled out a very long and slender pistol. She stared in horror at the perfectly crafted killing machine she held in her hand. Pandora! Pandora ran back to the kitchen just in time to see Miss Stetson pinning Hope to the floor and landing a heavy punch on her collarbone. Ah. Without hesitation, Pandora ran over to the two women and planted her feet evenly on the floor. She closed one eye and aimed the pistol at Miss Stetson's back. Mom, get out of the way! Now, Pandy! Hope Darling heaved one knee up and planted it square between Miss Stetson's legs. Ah. She pushed the schoolteacher off of her and rolled toward her daughter. Pandy fired three rapid silenced shots into the chest of her former social studies teacher who fell to the kitchen floor with a dull thump and lay still as her blood pooled slowly around her. Pandy dropped the gun and fell to the floor, leaning against the cabinets under the sink. Hope Darling brushed herself off and left for a minute. She returned with a tarp and her hacksaw. Are you okay? Well, I learned how to take punches a long time ago. Oh, Mom, what did you do? You did it too, Potato, and you were brilliant. What do you mean brilliant? I just killed... I just killed my teacher. I knew it as soon as I saw her. This can't... This can't be happening. I just have to figure out who this Joan Riley is. I'm assuming she's a friend, but one can't be too careful. Oh, God. Oh, God. It'll be okay, Potato. We'll be fine. But before we do anything, come and help me find the chip. Was Miss Stetson an agent of Cask? Did she attack Hope Darling in self-defense? What will Pandora do now that she is her mother's accomplice? Tune in next week for Cleaning Up. of Like Mother. The narrator was played by Charles Berman. Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert. Hope Darling was Lynn Nelson. Tabby was Ava Rosenblatt. Bobby Kurtzman was Jordan D. White. And Miss Stetson was Irene Rekbiashvili. The theme song was by Jordan D. White. Wow. So, uh, Pandora Darling has now killed a woman. Uh, it was sort of self-defense, I suppose, but a life has been taken. I don't know if she can recover from that. Find out on the next episode of... Yeah, you know. I mean, you, you get the idea here. It's an ongoing thing, so it's a keep-going story, right? Scape, what do you think? Uh, what if I locked you in a box sometimes and then let you out and uh, tried to make you kill people? Okay, uh, here's here's how that works, dolls. I would be very unhappy in a box, okay? Sometimes you've put me in a box. Like, the real... You know, that, that box thing you put me in and you take me places? Once in a while. I mean, very rarely. Yeah, you. first of all, you took me to this horrible place where it smells like rats of cats and some person was trying to touch me and look at me. The vet, you mean? Yeah, that was terrible and I got so mad. You did. You really did get mad. He, you wouldn't let, you wouldn't let her look at you. You wouldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't even like look at you to look in your ears and see if you were okay. I mean, it was, Dreadful. It was dreadful. I was I was so mad I was going to kill everybody, and I would have killed them if I could. So I have no problem with the killing part, but I have a big problem with the box. Okay. I mean, clearly, yeah, you don't like the, the box. Then, oh, by the way, and then you put me in a box and took me away from my house and took me very far away for a long time. When we moved to New York, you mean? And then we, well, we took you here, to, to your new home. Well... Yeah, now it's my new home, but, but when we got here, it was like some new place, and I was like, ah, 
I hate this place. And I probably, again, I probably could have killed somebody. Because I was really angry. And I have sharp claws. So if I was like, oh, you want to you wanna start? I will kill you. Okay, interesting. Speaking of people who are out of their mind, uh, that last show, of course, features Hope Darling. And uh, we have done some digging. We have found a, a recording that we'd like to share with what, you. Wait, no, hold on. Hold on a second. A recording that you want to share. I think I see where this is going, and I don't like it. Frank, you know, this podcast is a collaborative medium. You know, it's not all about you. You're going to bump my show again. You're going to bump my interview again. You you could have had an interview last week. You chose not to. That's your own doing. Well, yeah, but that was for the greater good. This, you know, I didn't. you didn't even ask me. You didn't consult. Yeah, but this is worth it. What we've, we, what we've got here is we've got a, uh, a clip from a one of those kind of conspiracy theory radio shows called Don't Believe It. Airs out in California. And uh, this is a clip of Hope Darling calling into it. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. You know, isn't that worth listening to? It's not worth it to me. What do I care? Frank, this is an important bit. It's 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 historical information. If Hope Darling called into a show, that's historical information. We need to know this. You, you guys are so full of it. Fine. Play the stupid bit. Play it. All right, here we go. All right, that's a fair point, but you still didn't answer the question about where, why there wasn't a dust cloud around the moon lander, and you, you're never going to be able to answer it because there was no dust cloud, there was no moon landing. We're going to go to our next caller. we got a caller here from New York State. You're on Don't Believe It with Patsy Kennedy. Go! Yes, hello, Patsy. Uh, wonderful to be on the show with you. I'm, I'm a long-time listener, uh, first-time caller. But enough about this uh, moon landing. It's absurd. Uh, everyone knows it didn't happen, so I'd like to move on and ask you why you never discuss cask on your show. I'm sorry, what is... Uh... I mean, thank you for thank you for your compliments. But what is cask? Uh, you're kidding, right? No. What? I, why would I be kidding about this? What is it? What is it? Some sort of thing? It's it's the vast conspiracy in in the world. It's uh, it's everybody trying to destroy our way of life. Okay, so like the uh, the Illuminati. Don't be silly. The Illuminati are just a book, uh, something they made up at what, what college was it in California? No, no, this is the real one. Uh, you mean the New World Order, eh? Well, not your New World Order, but yes, in a way, they're trying for a New World Order. Th- these are the people who are trying to destroy our way of life, Patsy. They're everywhere and they're seeping into our daily lives through the media, the government, even the people who ran our karate dojo. What karate? What? Okay, like, uh, look, I mean, we, we, you know, we deal with a lot of conspiracies here. We, we, we believe in a lot of stuff. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. So you're saying somebody's taking over your your town and your karate? What? No, it's not just my town. I mean, they're everywhere in my town. Man, I, I really, I, I have to keep on top of them or they just get into everything. But, um, no, I mean, yes, they were in the karate dojo and I had to take a few of them out. But, no, they're, they're everywhere. They're in every country. They're all across the world and on my airplanes and, and just everything. Had to take a few of them out. Look, I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but we're like, uh, you know, we, we, we're intellectual uh, show. We don't advocate any violence. I hope you're not talking about violence. I don't advocate violence. They are trying to kill us. I just have to defend myself. All right. Well, uh, okay. What, what I mean, what exactly are they trying to do to you? I don't understand. Like, they, they want to rule the world? In a way, yes. I'm I'm not 100% sure what they're trying to do, but I know they want to get rid of us or, or control our minds or something. All right. Well, what is it like? Uh, well, I mean, what do you recommend we do? What What is it? What is cask? Anyway, what does it mean, actually? Whoever is running this thing has made that up, and I, I couldn't tell you what it stood for. If I had that kind of security access, I might be able to take the whole thing apart, and I might be able to dissolve the whole thing, but... Uh, I know that it's there, and I know that's what they call it. Well, what can we do? I mean, what do you recommend people do? Like, is it something they can recognize? What? Well, I can see it. And, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody else out there who can see it. I wish they would call in so we could 
kind of hook up or something, but there are a number of things you can do if you find out that there are cask agents in your town. Um, I would recommend not going to the police. Uh, they usually are cask as well. Um, the most immediate thing you can do is if they're somehow not living anymore, um, you can find the chip hidden inside them. And uh, Lady, 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 look, look, you're saying, you're saying things about chips. This sounds like crazy talk. I mean, you know, we're doing a show. It's about... It's about true stuff. It's about, you know, faking the moon landing. It's not about some chip in a person. This, I mean, you sound like a crazy person. How could you say that one of these conspiracies is any more valid than the other? I know this. I can see them. I've seen them do horrible things. I can recognize when they're agents, and I know that they have chips implanted in them from cask. They are trying to infiltrate our daily lives. I don't understand why you don't see the importance of trying to take these people out. Uh, you know... You could go out on the street and you could find 10 people who say, oh, I know that, you know, whatever. I know that the Twin Towers fell inside, but we know they were blown up. The point is, what? just because you think you know something doesn't mean you know it. Don't believe it. That's what the show is called. You shouldn't, you know, you're, you're falling for your own uh, uh, conspiracy here. It doesn't sound like it's true at all. I've seen the chips. I've seen the agents. What, what more can you can you ask for? I've met other people who believe this, too. I mean, I, there are, this is valid. I've heard so many other people who are in this with me searching for these agents. Yeah, yeah, but how many people, how many people in this country believe that Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK? A lot of people. A lot of people. It's not, a, it's not majority rules. It's the truth rules. It's the truth is the truth. Don't believe it. Look, what you talk about here on your show all the time are conspiracies set up by the government. And this is so much bigger. I, I don't think you you quite understand the volume of this conspiracy. This is not just some cover-up because the government has decided to go spend a bunch of money or kill some people. I mean, this is worldwide. Just splinter cells and, and some central agency that we can't seem to locate, but they're everywhere, and they're not just trying to cover things up. I mean, this is this is real. This is trying to destroy the planet. Now I know you're full of it, because look, we already, look, we've already dealt with this earlier in the show. Uh, th there's no way there could be a big conspiracy about all this, because the CIA is not going to work with the people who are back in the aliens, they don't get along. The CIA and the Greys, they don't get along. We know this. And the people who are researching on the Bigfoots, they don't get along with either of them. So there's no way that there's some big conspiracy. How is the Bigfoots going to be working with the CIA? That doesn't make any sense, lady. Look, I suspect that all of these places and all of these little groups that are that are in these conspiracies are being manipulated by one central agency. And they don't necessarily have to get along, but they all have to believe in conspiracies. Well, you're saying a conspiracy conspiracy? Oh, this is this is nonsense. You 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 making up you you you're drinking you're drinking all sorts of Kool-Aid there. You you're mixing the Kool-Aid with with the alcohol and you're drinking it all it doesn't make any sense you're crazy lady look i'll give you one what well, you could say one more thing what do you want to say look but you're crazy okay, no look i will prove this to you how do you explain the nun at my child's church putting putting secret coded messages in all of the pamphlets she handed out to kill people and to bomb things what what kind of messages i don't know blow up the church she's handing out a, a flyer at the church it says blow up the church it's coded it's a message you have to decode it obviously they're not that overt all right look maybe there's one crazy nun but that doesn't mean if you get a million nuns, then that's a conspiracy. One person is a crazy person. That's the lone gunman. That's the Lee Harvey Oswald you're saying there. We, that's no, not. But she wasn't just 
blowing up a church. She was putting a code out for all the other people to read. I don't know how many people read that and knew how to decode it, but she was sending a message to somebody. Who's she going to be sending a message to? Well, let me ask you this. Did the church get blown up? Well, no, I intercepted. You took them all? No, I mean, I intercepted before the gathering even happened. So you got all the flyers, is what you're saying? Oh, yeah, yes. I thought you meant all the people. No, yes, I got all the flyers. All right. All right. I mean, you're destroying the evidence. I mean, there's not even any evidence. Look, at least when, you know, at least when people call up and they say, I've seen the Loch Ness Monster, they have evidence. You've got nothing. You've got nothing for me. You just say, hey, here's what I know. Uh, it's nothing. Well, I don't know about you, but I never believe the evidence of the Loch Ness Monster they've got. Uh, these are stupid, fuzzy pictures. I mean, I had cold, hard proof. I just, I had to get rid of it. We saw the pictures. They're pictures of a, of a sea monster. You... You know what? Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. We we, we got to let you go. I'm sorry, lady. I just, I just want, before you hang up, I just want to let all the people out there who, who are listening who might believe me, I want to let you know that this is a huge, yes, a conspiracy, conspiracy. And if you don't want to lose your way of life and your hope and, and your love for humanity... Try, learn, learn to no, stop no, them. No, no, no. All right. This do is, whatever you have to do to stop them. This is nonsense. Them. Goodbye, lady. Goodbye. You know, I'm sorry you folks had to hear that. You you turn on the show, you turn on Don't Believe It, and you think, I'm going to hear something true. Well, I guess this time, in this case, don't believe it because this lady is crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. There's no, we know there's no big conspiracy. These these conspiracies are real, obviously, but they're the, you know, the ones we talk about normal, like, this is a crazy conspiracy this lady's coming up with. Some some sort of thing with dojos. It doesn't make any sense. Don't don't listen to her. Go back to your normal business. Focus on focus on the regular conspiracies. You're listening to Don't Believe It with Patsy Kennedy here on KSAC Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. And that's that from Don't Believe It. Hopefully you enjoyed that little bit there with Hope Darling calling in. Uh, she's a little nuts, wouldn't you say? A little. Can we get to, can, can I have my part of the show now? If you're not going to let me have my inter, my interview, at least let me get to my debate. Please, go ahead and intro, introduce it if you like. All right, fine. Uh, this is Debatatorium 2006. This was recorded, so Debatatorium 2006. Uh, the third episode, it's about gay marriage. It's still in the first round of uh, the tournament play, so to speak. So, two all-new debaters. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone will enjoy it. We, we're going to find out whether or not gay marriage is right or wrong in this episode. We will solve it for good. Here we go. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to Debatatorium 2006. My name is Frank Allen. You're listening to WHRW Binghamton. I just wanted to go into one small thing before we start. Uh, Debatatorium 2006, the name, a lot of people wonder why it's called that. And, of course, it's named after the uh, enormous Debatatorium that we record in with our live audience. Uh, seats about 1,000 people. It's very impressive. Uh, so that's that's why, that's why we call it. Um, anyway, what we do on Debatatorium 2006 is we de- just debate issues that are hot-button issues and decide them for you so you don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, tonight we have a very important issue, but we do have two debaters. Let's introduce our debaters, shall we? Hi, my name is Sally. I'm oh. a nice girl. Hi, Sally. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I like baking cookies. My mom taught me how, and they're really, really good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, hopefully uh, you can bake us some cookies. Anyway. Uh, Only if I win. Oh, well, okay. Well, then I don't want to say I hope you win, but I hope I get cookies. How about that? Debater number two. <laughs> You would want cookies. You're fat. Uh, well. <laughs> you dare call me fat? <laughs> no, not you, honey. <laughs> oh, okay. I think you. I think she was talking about me. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Oh, 
<laughs> I'm Alice Wilcox, and I am the heiress to the Wilcox rifle fortune. <laughs> Wilcox. Well, <laughs> um, why is that funny? Wilcox. It's your name. <laughs> well, uh, we have two uh, two very uh, learned. I'm gonna have to talk to people, learned uh, debaters, and we uh, we do have an important hot button issue uh, to- tonight. We're going to be debating uh, whether or not homosexuals should be allowed to marry in our fair country of the United States of America. And of course, uh, as everyone I'm sure already knows, uh, Sally believes that homosexuals should not be allowed to marry, while uh, Ms. Wilcox uh, believes that they should be allowed to marry. So, uh, Sally, why don't you tell us why you don't think homosexuals should get married? Um, I don't think that homosexuals should get married because. My mommy says that it only evil people think that. Um, I'm sorry? I said that if you dare to get homosexually married, I will eat your soul. Uh, uh, Sally? <laughs> yeah, what? I, you just sounded very different. My mom, first. she says that it's not, not good. It goes against the Bible. What's not good? The homosexual marriage. No, I'm sorry. I'm concerned with what happened to your voice. Nothing. Nothing. I just like to bake cookies. And that has to do with... You're, okay, so you're saying, uh, wait, homosexuality is evil. Yes, it is evil. Okay, that, now who's this? What? What? I, what? Why are you? You sounded different for a minute there. Why are you? What's, is there something wrong with me? That's what I'm asking you. There's something. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Well, there's something. You might have something My caught in your throat. My mommy says that I'm really pretty. That's nice of her. Mothers say things to children. But the point is, all right, why don't I let the second debater answer this? Answer what? Well, she says homosexuality is evil and etc. No, homosexuality isn't evil. I'll tell you what's evil. Men. Men are evil. I'm on my fourth marriage already and... <laughs> Oh, man. Let me tell you, I think these homosexuals are onto something, and it's just kind of funny, too. They're onto something funny? No, no, a man marrying a man, that's funny. Why is that funny? Because <laughs> they're men. Oh, I thought, no, but men were evil, I thought, not funny. Well, they're evil when they're not homosexual. And when they are, they're good. <laughs> well, the more important point here, Frank, mm-hmm. is that homosexuals have the same right to be miserable like the rest of us married folks. <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying. I think I understand. Oh. Now, Sally, as someone yes. who is too young to be married, why should I listen to you at all? Because, you evil person, I'm one true person who is talking in a funny voice. I'm sorry? What? Now, you're a, a little girl. I know. Uh, and My you're... mom says that homosexuality is evil, so it is. Have you ever touched a cross? What? A cross. Have you ever touched one? How dare you speak to me that way? Because I have a feeling it might burn. Oh, oh I, I don't like burning. Well, fortunately, we do have, uh, coincidentally, an expert on both... It's bad uh, if I burn cookies. ...both religion and homosexuality, oddly enough, so... Um, we have an expert right here. Good evening. My name is uh, Father Ardell McCormick. And now you are an expert on homosexuality and religion. I am an expert on homosexuality and religion and all things pertaining to them both. Now, can I ask an impertinent question? Uh, you may ask an impertinent question as long as it's pertinent. Are you gay? Am I gay? As a, as a priest of the Catholic Church, I can't say one way or another. I've taken a vow of celibacy. Oh. <laughs> I'm neutral on the subject, so to speak. Ah, celibacy. Now, let me tell you, when I first became a priest, and I was indoctrinated in all the priestly duties, mm-hmm. uh, I was a very young priest, comparatively. There were many priests, therefore, who were older than I am, and I became a priest, I stayed a priest, 
up until the present day. But I stayed a priest for quite a while. And I spoke with the cardinal. The cardinal. And he said to me, Father. Father McCormack, he said to me. And I said, as that was my name, I said yes. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, Father McCormack, how many couples have you married? I was stunned. I had married all these couples upon whom I had I had performed the sacrament of matrimony. I myself had married them. I had been married hundreds of times and half of those times to men. Now that's interesting. Yes. So you now are, are you are you actually uh responsible for those marriages? Are they are they getting alimony from you or Alimony, no. I I suppose then, and I, I prayed about this, you understand, Mr. Oh, yes. Allen. And I thought a lot, and I spoke to God, and I meditated, and I realized that I'd never divorced them. Oh. That makes me a polygamist. Uh, so, no, no alimony has been paid. So, now, Sally, how do you respond to this? This is a good uh, Catholic man who is married to many hundreds of men and women. That's just really weird, man. Well, you know, from a religious point of view, many things seem weird to those who have not seen uh, the truth of the matter. Truth of the matter? Yes. The truth! Have you been uh, introduced to the concept of exorcism? No. Uh, it's the sort of thing you do in a gymnasium, I think. I, I've heard it mentioned. Can you perform one right now? Yes. I will have your soul! Uh, uh, down. Uh, uh, I'll hold your feet. Try to set up. What? What? Try, try to set up without using your arms to help you. You sit up and you. I used your mom last night. Ah. Highly <laughs> unlikely, I think. <laughs> Me too. All right, um, Miss Wilcox, uh, what are you, do you have any questions for uh, this good uh, gentleman here, this good priest we've got here? No, he's just further proving my point that homosexual marriage is okay and funny. Well, I, I think all my wives <laughs> and husbands would agree with you. Ah. Uh. Now. Are, would they be considered married to each other as well? I suppose they would. As I said to them, I think, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband and vice versa? Or something along those lines. It's in a book that I read from. Uh, and so, yes, I suppose they're married to each other principally. But if, if I married them, I'm married to them. Now, oddly enough, we do have another expert here who I do believe wants to comment on this. That's right. I do want to comment on this. Okay. I go by the name of Trapper Mike McGinnis. My friends call me Trapper Mike. My enemies, they're making a big mistake. I'm the greatest trapper, animal trapper. In all of Long Island, possibly New York State. Yes. I've decided to weigh in on this particular issue. Okay. Frankly, I just caught a raccoon in Cruel Jaws, one of my traps, and um, work got out a little bit early tonight. So here's the deal. Why are these people really opposed to gay marriage? Well, I gotta tell you, they're misguided. Here's the deal. Human body made up of a lot of genomes. Genomes are... Genes are selfish little things. They want to replicate themselves. That's not been proven. People are just a bunch of meat robots. I'll tell you that much. You, <laughs> you know what? Know your role. I'm talking. Here's the role. Um, basically, it's a theory. Homosexuals are no threat to anybody because they operate entirely outside their sphere. Their genomes aren't going down to the next generation anyway. You know, they don't don't like to be called genetic mistakes. But really, what can you say? Um, and the best thing about being on the radio is I don't have to be don't have to hang out with any of you people in person. You know what? So are you saying that homosexual marriage should be allowed because it's not like they're going to have kids anyway? Yeah, it's not going to hurt anybody. But what about the fact that, I mean, we've had homosexuals for many years. Yeah. If it's not being passed down genetically, how did they keep happening? Well, evidently, you've never read about recessive genes. Sorry I'm not speaking to an educated man on this issue. Uh, well, now, okay, I've heard of recessive genes. Well, that's the deal. Recessive genes, all right? Best explanation is always the short explanation. That was pretty short. Yeah, I don't waste time. I get to my point. I find if I don't know what I'm talking about, I keep my mouth shut. If I do know what I'm talking about, I set people straight or I go and kick their asses. One of the two. Ah. So, so, Stop. Ah, ah, ah. 
So you're in support of the woman you're yelling at for laughing? Sure, I agree with her point. Just because she's a reprehensible human being doesn't oh, mean you disagree with her. human being. <laughs> okay. So, Besides, she's better than the schizophrenic little uh, twerp over here. We can't be friends. I'm afraid not. Your cookies would likely have hair on them, toots. And I got to tell you, um, the priest, probably an okay guy. Thank you, sir. Bless you. Well, he's married to a lot of men. Yes. Good uh, Irishmen. Right. Good. They're all good Irishmen. Most of them. Good Irishmen. Never going to get a pub fight with an Irishman. But um, you, Frank, I'm not so sure. Any questions? Well, I'm not Irish. Uh, no, but thank you for thank you for clearing that up for us. Okay, now, uh, so debaters, uh, anybody want to weigh in on what uh, Trapper Mike had to say for us? Does this change any of your minds? As far as I see it, I've already won this debate. It's an interesting theory. I believe my mom more than I believe some guy who goes around killing squirrels. Some squirrels need to be killed, girl. Do squirrels break the law? You know, if they're in a place where they're not supposed to be, and I get paid to kill them, those squirrels get dead. That's how that goes. All right, well, um, thank you for for that. I'm very good at what I do, and I do it well. If I ever have any squirrels in my studio or my debatatorium, I will uh, call you up. Well, I don't work cheap, okay? Get that straight. But yes, if you have squirrels... If you kill the squirrels, you will surely die! We'll all surely die. That's a good point, actually. We must repent before we do. That's a true point. It's not a very productive point, though. No, well, I suppose not. Sally, why don't you- You will die immediately! My goodness. Um, Sally, why don't you give us your final arguments so that we can uh, sum this all up? Um, gay people are breaking the rules because my mom said so, and my mom makes really good cookies, and this guy, he kills squirrels, and they're really cute, and that's not right. So homosexuals should not be allowed to kill squirrels? Yes. Okay. Uh, and Miss Wilcox, what do you think about this? Uh, closing arguments. First of all, I'm very embarrassed that you brought a little girl on to debate me, the heiress of the damn rifle fortune. But homosexuality, huh? homosexual marriage, what the hell? Go for it. Heterosexual marriage sure as hell don't work. Ha! <laughs> ah! And besides, how funny is it if Elton John were to marry uh, George Michaels? <laughs> so oh, that, what a couple. The thrust of your argument is it would be interesting episodes of Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. Okay. So, let's see. Let me think really hard about this. Seems like my, my experts were a little more informed than my uh, debaters. That's why they're experts. That <laughs> is why they're experts. And since they both said that, that uh, gay marriage was okay, I'm going to say that gay marriage is okay. So, sorry, Sally, uh, you have officially lost the debate. But, but no cookies for you. I did want cookies. You will not get any cookies! All right, I guess I won't get cookies. You'll have a Eucharist after. Thank you. It's not as good as a cookie, but, well, that means Ms. Wilcox is our champion, uh, champion, our uh, winner, and we'll go on... Go on to the championship uh, rounds, next rounds. The point is, okay, the point is, why don't you all tune in next week for another episode of Debatatorium 2006, where we'll find out who is going to have to fight Miss Wilcox in the next round. This is going to be exciting. Thank you so much. My name's Frank Allen. Good night. That episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Charles Berman, Ava Rosenblatt, Jacob Thompson, Angela Tyman, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. 
You know what? Uh, let's just pop right along. We've got so much to do in this episode. What we're going to do is we're going to get to an episode of Epic Echoes. I do want to point out, uh, this is a very Lynn Nelson heavy episode because, of course, Lynn Nelson is uh, the writer of this next episode of Epic Echoes. And she also wrote the episode of Like Mother that we heard at the beginning of the show. She was also the actress who played Hope Darling. So this is like a jam-packed Lynn Nelson episode. Oh, my gosh. In Epic Echoes, she plays Slaughter. So you can listen out for her voice. See if she gave herself a really big part this time. Sometimes I give myself really big parts in the show so I wouldn't put it past her. Anyway, here we are with Epic Echoes. The Backward Series, Episode 6, Riders of Destiny, by Lynn Nelson. Molly hurried down the main corridor of Flashpoint, the Flashpack's headquarters. She stopped at a door at the end of the hall and burst through the door. A sleeping Max rolled over, muttering something. Molly hesitated and blushed slightly. Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. We've got a situation. What time is it? A little after three. This better be good. Aliens are invading. I'll be out in five. Molly paced outside Max's room until he came out in his robe, yawning. Can't aliens find something better to do with their time? Wake up, Max. You're going to want to be balanced before you see this. And preferably sitting down. Max followed Molly down two flights of stairs and into the monitoring console. Crisp greeted them at the door with a cup of coffee for Max. Keen was seated in front of one of the monitors, pressing buttons. Slaughter was reclining in a wooden chair, sketching what they all saw on the monitor. Who have we got today? Venus? Corona? Tell me it's not the Saturnians again. They were cranky. Taking into account the structure of the vehicles, it is undeniably Dralis. Max nearly spit out his coffee. Dralis? She doesn't waste any time, does she? She's not making any sense. She sounded crazy to me. I thought it was an empty threat. It's like she's been adding ships every day. And these are huge. It's like, it's like they're growing. She is crazy. These ships have the capability to create a pressure explosion field. She's got one hell of a mechanic. We should get his number. I could make pressure explosions if I wanted. Yeah, maybe you should get on it. This looks pretty ominous. Well, I can't make them at this moment. Okay, Fine, I can't make pressure explosions. Sue me. Why don't you all hire Drellis, then? She's just teasing, Molly. Don't take it personally. Flashback. Flashback? No, no, no. I'm trying to get your attention. Jeez, we need to work out a better system. Max, it may be time. You're not talking about... I am. I need to see for myself. Max, followed by Chris, Molly, Slaughter, and Keen, went into the observation room, a room made entirely of one-way mirrors that let them see the outside but kept them hidden from the world's view. The entire flashback gazed in awe at the massive ships that hung in the Earth's atmosphere. They were large, black ovals with silver and purple trim that hummed quietly. They practically filled the sky. Keen, I think you're right. Someone want to clue the rest of us in? My mother's aunt is a flugel. <gasps> Nothing good comes of flugels. They are incredibly intelligent beings. 
They hold the most secret of secret knowledges. Any being with that many secrets has too much power. And they're practically immoral. If there are any flugels with conscience, you'll never be able to tell them from the rest. Hey, remember the part where I'm related to one? Yeah, thanks. I'm still confused. If our suspicions are at all correct, we need that most secret of secret knowledges. These machines mean business, and we have too many questions. Do the ships belong to Dralis? Has she got bats in her belfry? If they're not hers, whose are they, and why do they bear such a remarkable resemblance to her vehicles? Yes, thank you, Crisp. I'm glad you're taking all this down. I guess I should know better than to ask at this point, but just how exactly do you expect to make this journey? Security in Glywing is like nothing I've ever before dissected. They have eyes that float in the air. They have x-ray vision. They can go outside time. And they are incredibly hostile to outsiders. Wouldn't you be if you were protecting the world's secrets? My mother gave me a charm a few years ago, in the form of an ID. It is, essentially, a security waiver. I will be identified as a flugel. What about the rest of us? It allows for only one guest. Which should be me. Of course. Max, this leaves a bad taste in my mouth. No offense, Keen. Obviously, we've identified a flugel with a conscience. But you don't know what kind of environment you're walking into. It could be really dangerous. I'm worried. Well, do we have any better ideas? Besides, usually Max's so-crazy-they-just-might-work schemes end up totally saving the day. Or at least being really fun. Though, I guess this one won't be much fun for us. Look, it's got to be done. Keen and I can take care of ourselves. You monitor the activity of the ships and hold down the fort. We're going to want to make this as short of a trip as possible. Max got dressed, and in 20 minutes, he and Keen found themselves boarding their spaceship. They took off and watched with one eye in the rear view as Molly, Slaughter, and Crisp grew smaller and smaller and then disappeared. So, uh, Keen. Yeah? Well, I didn't want to ask you before in front of everybody, but... What is it? Are you sure about this? I am. But it doesn't really matter, does it? What do you mean? Max Thornfield doesn't do anything he's not ready to do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. They rode in silence for a while. You know, no one has ever doubted your loyalties. What do you mean? I'm just saying you're a very loyal person, Max. We appreciate that. We wouldn't know what to do without you. Well, gee, thanks, Keen. You're an okay gal. Look, I'm not looking for a Kodak moment or anything. Fair enough. We're entering Glywing anyway. Glywing was a rather green city on Jupiter. It was probably the most technologically advanced city on the immediate planets, but it sort of resembled a town out of an old western movie from the 1900s. The creatures that inhabited the city were small, about four feet tall. They had no real structure and rolled around much like amoeba. They were mostly a light green and spoke through osmosis. At the border, a flugel in a dark green official cap pulled them over and checked Keen's ID. He scanned her charmed card and waved them through. They hovered slowly through the town until they found a saloon marked Themers. They parked the ship and walked inside. As soon as they entered, every flugel in the bar rolled quietly out. Max and Keen took seats at the bar, and a flugel in a cowboy hat rolled over to them and set down two sodas. Good to see caffeine's in international language. Don't reckon you folks are from around here. How'd you happen to pass our guards? I'm half. Well, welcome home, little missy. I reckon you're in some mighty trouble to go poking your nose around these parts. We've got... aliens. No offense. No taken, young man. You got Dralis on your trail, huh? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. We know her ships are pretty high-tech, but we can't figure out if they actually belong to her or what she intends to do with them. This here is a secret base located in the Himalaya Mountains on your little planet. The Flugel produced a map from just under the bar in front of him and handed it over to Keen. Their security is mighty tricky. 
Get doors that open and close so fast they'll chomp on any jet or plane that tries to get through without permission. You're gonna wanna take that there spaceship and put her into hyperspeed. Whoa, really? Uh, okay. Wow, that's helpful. That Dralis is a very dexterous lady. I'd be careful around her if I were you. Something's not right with her head. Yeah, we figured that out. Can you tell us what's going on? That's not really something you're gonna need me to do. Uh, okay. Is there anything you can tell us? Just take your map, little lady, and uh, finish your fizzy. Well, what do we owe you? Shucks. You don't need to give me nothing. The giggles are enough for me. The little blob rolled away into the back, leaving a bewildered Max and Keen to finish their sodas. Okay, that's weird. Well, that was a wasted trip. Aside from the stupid map, he told us absolutely nothing. Let's get out of here. Max and Keen exited the saloon and were met with the sight of their spaceship hovering a good few feet off the ground. No wonder security was so easy. You think they alert? Who is that? A loud, booming voice came over the outer speakers of the spaceship. You're expecting maybe the lovely Lady Drollis? I'd know that voice anywhere. Dex! Oh, it's so lovely to be recognized. Those are your ships! Or are they Drollis's? We don't need separate ships anymore, you pathetic... Earthenoid, Drollis knows her place now. We will rule together. Just what is it you want to rule again? Everything. How small are your brain units? And now that I have your ship, not only can I add one to my fleet, but you are stranded here in Glyween, doomed to roam among the blob creatures who think they know everything. Be careful who mans, they sell out to the highest bidder. A loud whirring began inside the flashpacked spaceship, and Max and Keen backed away as Dex continued his diatribe. Now I can continue my doomsday device without this thorn in my side. I think it's time to get out of here. How many transports do you have left? One, but I can't think of a better way to use it. Without your elaborate flying machine, you can do nothing. Pathetic superheroes are nothing but subpar who-mans with superior technology. But who is the supreme being now? Is it you? No! It is I, Dex! Keen quickly hugged Max, and there was a brief flash of light. They could hear the faint echo of Dex's... Casio! And they tumbled to the floor of the monitoring console, where the rest of the flashpack were wringing their hands. Oh, goodness, I'm so glad you're all right. What happened? Where's the ship? Dex has it. And we have a lot of information. Well, sort of. It was a confusing trip overall, but for now we're without a ship with a hyperdrive, and we still don't know where Drellis and Dex are. We're going to be stuck for a little while, so we've got to gather as much information as we can on our own. Is the Earth doomed to be destroyed by Dex's fleet of destruction? Has Drellis gone mad? Will the Flashpack be able to save the day this time? Tune in for next week's thrilling episode of Epic Echoes, Gains and Losses. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert played the narrator, Nicholas Roach played Max Thornfield, Jordan D. White played Crisp, Devon White played Molly, Lynn Nelson played Slaughter, Hong Wen Wong played Keen, Daniel Schwartz played Dex, and Jacob Thompson played Fema. Theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Excellent. Wonderful stuff. Uh, we are zipping right through this episode, and I am very happy with it. How about you, Frank? Uh, you know, it's good to know that you're finally reached a level of happiness. 
considering how alone you felt and how isolated you were in life. I, I'm glad that the, the darkness has lifted from your head. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, again, you read my poetry, da 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 da, da. No, it's just, it's really good, because to be honest with you, I found that stash, and I was very, very worried about you. I thought, oh, no, what could, what could become of him? You're not getting, like, this is not helping you get an interview, you know. I mean, I'm sort of thinking now, maybe I should do something new next week, too. Well, that's not necessary, because, you know, that might depress you even more, or you might throw me into a funk. I might have to write poetry. Oh, that would actually be pretty good. Have you ever written poetry, Frank? I have. Oh, this is fascinating. Is there any chance, of course, that we could read it? No, there's no chance that you could read it. Thank you. Ah, I don't, well, why not? I mean, if we're reading poetry, you know, I'm sure that we'd love to hear what you had to say. No, it's not, I don't think you do. I don't want to, no. Besides, I'm sure Rory, Rory's an English person. He probably wrote poetry. As a matter of fact, I did. But I refuse to share it, and in fact, I've already burned all of it. You did? What? Why? When? Actually, last week after we did the show, I was suspecting something like this might happen. That's, that's... Well, that's smart, actually. Scape, have you ever written poetry? I think everybody here has written poetry, except for maybe you, right? I don't even, I don't even know what poetry is, really. It's just, again, it's, it's another thing with words. It's what's the difference between a poetry and a serial and a story and a talking? I mean, I wrote poetry in that I talk. I just didn't give it a name. If I'm like, okay, my next comment is going to be called, I want some food. And then I'm like, please give me some food. I'm so hungry. I want to eat. Now, did I just write a poem? I don't, I mean, again, it's, uh, that's sort of a difficult question. I think like art is in the eye of the beholder in many ways. And so I wouldn't call that a poem. If you called it a poem, then it would be a poem, though. I mean, really. All right, here, here's, a, here's a poem. Give me more food. Was that it? Yeah, I just want some more food. Okay. I mean, not okay that you can have it, but okay, maybe later. We'll see. Oh, come on. Just give it to me now. We're in the middle of a podcast. Okay, moving on, moving on. Rory, you've got some days in history you'd like to illuminate for us? Actually, just one, but it's today, so let's do it. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin, and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On May 12, 1949, an early crisis of the Cold War comes to an end when the Soviet Union lifts its 11-month blockade against West Berlin. The blockade had been broken by a massive U.S.-British airlift of vital supplies to West Berlin's two million citizens. Let's listen. Yeah, I broke the blockade. Crap. Well, I'm done eating my uh, thing now. I, I think that now that the blockade is gone... I'd be throwing it out the window. Dude, there is a garbage. Yeah, but this is easier. Okay. Meanwhile, below the plane... Hey, Billy! Don't you feel great today? Yes, I do! That's great! I'm glad there's no debris falling from the sky. Ah! God, it's a wrapper! This, of course, did teach all of the people of West Berlin a deadly lesson that they should never, ever throw litter out of airplanes... Or in general, they should never litter. This is WHRW Binghamton. But don't throw it out yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Cast in Wax with Where Are They Now in History? I can't believe I told you all that information without telling you the most astounding part. Not only did they throw a wrapper out of that plane, they threw 10 million tons of wrappers. Yes, that's why it was dangerous, in fact. 10 million tons of disgusting garbage falling down and raining upon East Berlin, crushing everyone flatter than the flattest pancake, if a flattest pancake was made with lots of garbage on top of it. That's pretty disgusting, and I wouldn't want to eat it. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking there's no way everyone could have lived through that. What happened was... The forward-thinking people of Berlin from before the war ended had done the amazing thing of trying to stop litter by 
installing amazing litter-reducing tubes. You'd hold the litter over these special tubes, it would suck them in and suck them way through the ground into this special litter-disintegrating area where it would be converted into plasma and power the world for the rest of time. It also sucked all of those millions of tons down in through it and disintegrated them all, made power forever. Of course, that seems to suggest the message that you should throw garbage out, but in fact you shouldn't. You should make special, overly elaborate things to control garbage problems, and you shouldn't litter in general. Very important lesson to learn on where are they now in history? My name's Rory Syndrome. Okay, so again, uh, don't litter, in other words. So you did that whole build-up to say don't litter. You know, you could technically just do a public service announcement. You could just say, hi, my name's Frank Allen, this is Captain Wax, and I just want to remind you, don't litter. That, I mean, that would be more effective, don't you think? No, of course not. You, you learn a you learn a moral lesson from the from the story instead. You know, there's a there's a world in which people were crushed by tons of garbage potentially, and then they didn't because they developed such an elaborate and wonderful anti litter program. Okay, and the point is the point is that if you if you if you work at stopping litter, it could save your life. I don't know if that's. I mean, is that really the point? That's not the message we're trying to get across. It's just don't litter is the is the message. Don't litter, or you know, I mean, if you if you see litter, you can clean it up, sure, but like, I don't think the message is you have to develop an overly elaborate form of litter control. No, but that's an ideal world. In a, in a less ideal world, you could just say don't litter, I suppose. I mean, we, we I guess we want to shoot for the ideal, but let's move on to Guard Duty. As I said earlier, this is the last episode of the first season of Guard Duty. It was a shortened season because it was over the summer season of WHRW. In the first uh, five episodes, you get to meet most of the Earth Guard. You met uh, the Stallion, Broadband, the Jack, Dr. Fast, Peas Blossom, Ocean Man, and Mr. Fahrenheit. Um, they've talked about Voodoo Lady, but at the time, at the beginning of this episode here, Voodoo Lady's dead. And the reason Voodoo Lady's dead is because they had had a time-traveling adventure where instead of the character Fole dying, the character of Voodoo Lady died. Fole, Stallion's sidekick, is now alive. She's in this episode with Broadband. Here's Guard Duty. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. That end, the guard takes shifts monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of guard duty. This week, broadband and full in turning the table. Oh, uh, hello there. Don't. Please don't. Not you. Don't? Don't be awkward. Tiptoe around me. Not you. I can't stand it. I'm sorry. Was I tiptoeing? You were about to. Everybody does. Or at least they have for the last week, since the Declaration of Independence. With the Time Marines? Yes, uh, I know. <laughs> then I'll do my best not to. I'll just, um... Uh, step normally. Thank you very much. I've been part of the Earth Guard for years. An equal. And believe me, I worked hard to gain the team's respect. Suddenly, everyone comes back from mission thinking I'm the new kid on the block. They treat me with kid gloves. Like I'm going to break. Either that or reality is. 
You have to understand our position. I'd love to. I've been trying to get Chuck to tell me what happened since he got back. He says it's behind us. What's past is past. Usually, I'd agree with him. I mean, you can't change what's happened, right? Just go forward from where you are. But I don't know where I am. No one will tell me what happened. It's a delicate topic. <laughs> There's that tiptoeing again. Was the Earth Guard a ballet company in this other reality? I'm sorry, but understand, to us, you were dead. It's hard to... It's not hard. It's not a delicate topic. It's just death. It's a hazard of our calling. I remember the day Voodoo Lady died very well. We were in the creationist cloud ship above Washington, D.C. He had kidnapped Hillary Clinton and was going to turn her into a pillar of salt. He had her strapped to a pair of electro devices. Stallion Peace Blossom charged to take the creationist head on. Captain Fantasy was outside holding back the rain of fire. Binary Girl went to free Hillary. Voodoo Lady, you and I were supposed to keep Mudman and the ribs occupied until the First Lady was clear. That was before you were broadband. You were still dial-it back then. Anyway, you broke off and went for the creationist computer system. The Serpent Virus. If Dr. Fass had been there. Well, regardless. The creationist saw what you were doing and threw the stallion off long enough to blast you. I broke off from the fight to finish installing the virus. Unfortunately, that left Voodoo Lady alone with Mudman and the ribs. I could have helped her. But the virus was our best chance to shut the creations down for good. By the time Binary got Hillary off the cloud, Claire was already dead. Tanya, I'm sorry. Don't be. I've lived with the guilt for five years. No, it wasn't your fault. It was mine. If I had disobeyed orders... <laughs> How many times are we going to go through with this? We had this argument five years ago, and I won. Then we had it four years ago. Yeah, I still won. And then... You always were stubborn, probably taking after Chuck. Either way, it doesn't matter whose fault it was. Because it was the right thing to do. I know that. And that's what I've always told you. We did what was best for the people. The ones we're here to protect. But that's not the point. So what is? I told you. I want to know what happened. I told you what I remember. Now you tell me what really happened. Ah, uh, well... None of this delicate crap. Tell it like it is. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I was dead. I understand that. Fine. You deserve the truth. Thank you. It was essentially the same situation as you said, but it seems the major difference was that Captain Fantasy wasn't with us. Voodoo Lady stayed on the ground in the Capitol building, protecting D.C. from the rate of fire. It was, uh, it was just you and I taking on Mudman and the ribs. But then I... You still went to input the virus. Yes, leaving you alone to face Mudman and his six ribs. Captain Fantasy wasn't there? That was it? As far as I can tell... I've checked the records and the brain frame's historical documents, and from what I can see, everything else was the same. Up until that point, anyway. Did he see why he couldn't make it? Not that I recall. But you know Captain Fantasy. He lives in the world of dreams more often than not. Of course, he comes and goes as he pleases. I should have thought of that. Nothing else was different? Nothing at all? Since then, there appears to be a significant difference in... No, I mean before the incident. Oh, no. Oddly enough, that seems to be it. Perfect. Brain frame? Yes, full. Initiate full Omega. Authorization 616. Initializing. What's going on? 
The, the unit can't move. Magnetic field. I'm sorry, Bob. Brainframe, deactivate magnetic field. Access denied. I designed you, you damned computer. My apologies. Tanya, what's going on? What are you going to do? I'm going to put things right. I'm going to go back and fix it. No! Listen, you you can't do that. I have to, Bob. Things were better off with me dead. Who are you to decide to swap one person for another? You're going to play God? It's not like that, Bob. And you know it. It's not just one life for one. It's everything since then. Look at Chuck. That's no reason to throw away your life. No. My death gave him meaning. He felt responsible. Without it, he became... complacent. He needs me to die. Besides, I'm not supposed to be alive. You have no idea what this has been doing to me. I keep thinking that if only I made it to San Francisco in time, if I'd gone back and fought the Time Rings along with you all, things would have been different. Of course, that's impossible. I didn't even exist at the time. Fool! Tanya, I'm sure the good you did. Couldn't possibly make up for what Voodoo Lady could have done. I couldn't have held my own against Lady Luna like she did many times. Let me ask you, in the world you remember, was the moon still round? Uh... That's what I thought. You can't stop me. So what exactly do you intend to do? It seems obvious. All I have to do is go back to that night, five years ago, and make sure Captain Fantasy sits the mission out. How do you expect to get back in time? Recognize this? the timetable, but it won't work without Dr. Fast to spin it. It will if I use this. An anti-grav belt? But what can... If I attach the belt here and set it to overload. I understand there's been some trouble with the belts recently. They tend to rocket people into the sky faster than they can handle. It'll spin just fine. Tanya, just wait a minute. You... I'm sorry. I know you're just trying to delay me while backup arrives. I'm going now. I'll... I'll always remember what we two shared. What? <laughs> Even if you've already forgotten. No. Tanya, no, wait. Goodbye. Tanya! No! <laughs> <laughs> She's always like that. We of the moon. moon wanes for no man. We of the moon will not tolerate your earthen ways any longer. Like she could just fly the moon off into space and leave Earth behind. <laughs> if you ask me, we should fix her up with the creationist. Oh, God. <laughs> Let him try to figure out if God made the moon people as well. Now, did she say the moon people evolved from alien spores? <laughs> Uh-oh, you said the L word. I mean, I, I mean the E word. <laughs> oh, God. Remember that time creationists tried to turn Chelsea Clinton into salt? No, 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 it was Hillary. That was when Fall was... Who? Oh, wait, Fall was the, the horse girl, stallion's girl. Oh, uh, yeah. But remember afterwards the news kept saying assault on Washington, but they were totally playing it straight. Like, they didn't even get it. Oh, God. <laughs> no, but my favorite, my all-time favorite, was when a tractor went on that rampage across Arkansas, and the headline was, A tractor plows through the heartland. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
Duty by Jordan D. White with Michael D. Murkowski as the narrator Derek McNish as Broadband Tong Wang Wong as Bobo Devin White as Voodoo Lady with theme song by Michael D. Murkowski And that just about wraps us up for this episode of Cast in Wax. I would like to thank everybody for listening and for, for, for all that. We'll be back next week, of course, with all sorts of new stuff. And hopefully you'll dig it. I think this is probably going to be the last episode that has four different things in it. Because at this point, shows shows just keep kind of getting longer. So for the most part, I think we're only going to have three serials from now on. There may be episodes where we only can afford two. Because again, I want to keep it under CD length. What we're going to do is we're going to leave you with the rest of Theme S, Stupid. And just so you know, I don't really think my website's stupid. I think my website's wonderful. Be seeing you. episode of Cast in Wax. On Epic Echoes, Dralis and Dex make secret plans. I know how unnerving it is to have something so enormous just dangling in front of you, taunting you. You know that at any second it could touch you, decimate you. On Tractor Fiction, pagans make secret plans. In order to obtain more blood for our master, some of you will continue planting razor blades, crushed glass, pins, etc. in the various treats. And on guard duty, Dr. Fast makes secret... No, I'm Dr. Fast uh, talks to Captain Fantasy. We know there is such a thing as telepathy. We know there is such a thing as telekinesis. We can prove it in a lab with reproducible results. It's far more reasonable to believe that you can lift that soda using telekinesis. All this and more on next week's episode of Cast and Wax, coming May 19th to Waxwork.com.